0: .NET ROCKS Episode 828 with guests Jesse Dowdle and Matthew Bissett. Recorded live Thursday, November 8th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePAK.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard.
1: Thank you very much, and welcome back to DotNet Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. We are at the Better Software Conference in Orlando, Florida. We are in a
0: lovely hotel. This is the Rosen Shingle. It's big. Uh, Shingle Creek. It's massive. There's a huge uh, golf course wrapped around it. Uh, I, I think you it. can
1: play golf inside the hotel. It's yes. so
0: big. Well, this hall we're in, it could be a fairway. It right could there. be. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway,
1: uh, we have a little bit of business to take care of right now, so let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, I went out looking on the web for some cool tools, and I found this great little Sizer app. Sizer? At brianapps.net slash Sizer. What it is, it's a little utility, Windows, when you run it, Uh, It sort of runs in the background. Mm -hmm. And then when you're sizing a window, it gives you a little tool tip with the X and Y coordinates, the width and the height. Nice. Uh, So this is great when you're, you know, working on websites. You want to, you know, make sure that you're, you're, you're testing your sort of form factor, you know,
0: your screen sizes and things like that. So you're doing like responsive web design. You want to say, okay, well, let's make this look like it's only 400 pixels wide yeah. You actually know for sure You've got it right Exactly
1: I love that That's, That's awesome a nice little tool Brianapps.net Slash Sizer Great find And uh,
0: enjoy people So who's talking to us Richard I grabbed a comment Off of uh, the road trip show we did uh, with Alan Stevens and Leon Gersing. That was eight eleven, And we got a lot of comments on that show. It was really a powerful show. Uh, this one comes from Dimitar Georgiev, who says, Hello, guys. Great podcast as usual. The problem which you were discussing goes from small to very big companies. Actually, even big companies are separated into units and is a different environment in all of them. Uh, some years ago, I worked for a small family company. And it was my bad luck that when I joined the company, just when the owners decided to divorce. It was a terrible year. After that, I worked for a freelancer for more than a year because I was afraid my luck would bring me again into such a place. I think that even some teams with less knowledge and experience can perform better than good professionals with big egos. Right. It doesn't take, uh, you know, super talent, just a willingness to work as a team. Indeed. And deal with the personal issues around all of those things, which I, I think is one of the things that Alan and Leon really got into in that conversation was is how your team works together is almost more important than how skilled they are. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Dimitar, totally agree with you. Thanks so much for your comment. We're going to send a .NET Rocks mug to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at com. And
1: before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight offers comprehensive training online. They have uh, over 300 developer courses there, uh, authored by industry experts, MVPs, and people that appear on the show. Uh, topics include... Anything.NET, .net, anything Microsoft, plus Java, iOS, Android, web, HTML, JavaScript, uh, everything that you could possibly think of—it's up there. Plans start at just twenty-nine dollars a month. Go to pluralsight S-i-g-h-t. And with that, let me introduce our guest, Jesse Dowdle, senior manager of development for At Task Incorporated. Jesse Dowdle directs the engineering efforts of nearly a dozen agile teams in the U.S. and overseas. Successful engineering in a fast-paced industry requires constant research and emerging technologies. Jesse drives thought leadership on continuous delivery, development best practices, and process evolution to help at-task ship software at lightning speed. And that's what you guys are talking about today. That's what you're here talking about. It is. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Ship it, ship it, ship it, ship it. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) when it's done, ship it again. That's the mantra. Ship it several times. How What's the fastest shipping cycle that you've that you've uh, overseen?
2: We've taken a a, a customer defect from uh, you know the incoming report coming out of support mm-hmm. implementation test full regression and then full deployment in under two hours.
0: Wow! So That's we're not talking great.
2: about writing it on the server, right? We're talking about the full process.
0: Wow! Yeah, because. It, when I think two hours, I think you went in, opened up the web page on a, you know on the server itself, edited in line, and then saved it. And said, "Okay, we're done." Right. <laughs> this is a, a
2: QA verified bug fix in master, deployed to customers in two hours with a proper wow. trail,
0: so the right. bug's been reported correctly. It's been picked up as a work item on the development side. It's been acted on, right? Developed on, and then it went through a full test chain as well. That's right.
2: It actually went through the test chain twice. Wow. We we fixed it, and then we decided. We had time to do a little more, right. so we made a tweak to improve it and ran it through the chain again and then deployed it. So and it actually could have gone faster. Could have gone faster. That's <laughs> the fastest one we've had so
0: far. It's yeah. still awesome. And when you talk about deployment, was it multiple web servers you had to deploy to? Yeah, we're
2: rolling, rolling deployment across um, multiple clusters, Java clusters, with lots of app servers on each one.
0: Holy man. Wow. So what is that tool? Is it a tool chain or is it a practice? I mean, what, how do you get that fast?
2: Really, it's the intersection of both. Mm-hmm. You need to have the right tool chain in place and that, that comes into play both on the operation side when you talk about automated deployment scripts, um, but it, and also on the engineering side, um, with tooling to support continuous integration. Mm-hmm. And then once you have your tool chain in place, you need the processes and the operational, uh, you know, the operational procedures to use that toolchain to its fullest potential. And that's actually the order that we went through when we got, you know, that's how we got to this point. We had the toolchain first, Mm -hmm. and then it was more like, wow, look what we can do with this thing. We can be really fast. Let's see how fast we can go with it.
1: So is there a distinct division between developers and uh, infrastructure people there, or are there DevOps guys that sort of uh, are the back-and-forth liaisons?
2: Yeah, there, there are DevOps guys and there's, there's a little bit of everything. We're, we're a very matrixed organization. So we Mm. have folks with different specializations. But when we first pulled this tool chain together, that's exactly what we did. You know, we created a tiger team, grabbed some guys that were DBAs and some guys that knew how to write a bash script. Like nobody's business. Got some engineers involved and gave them a charter since it said we want to go fast yeah. and they they took that and they just ran with it and the the result has been amazing for us
0: that's great now there's got to be a lot of automation here like you, you can't be waiting there's no manual testing time like you can't fit that in a 2 hour span if you're going to do all of that
2: that's exactly right and in, in fact that the first rule of true continuous integration is automate everything right you have to be able to say with certainty that everything you would need to know to release that piece of code your automation tells you mm-hmm. Hmm. So uh, for us, that means breaking down our entire suite of, of tests into all the different functional layers. We have unit tests and integration tests, UI tests, and we even have click path tests and you know document upload and operating system specific tests. And all of those are automated. Uh, and they execute some concurrently, if we have the ability to go concurrently with them, mm-hmm. and some sequentially. And then all of that data is aggregated, rolled up, and presented on a dashboard. So you get a red light, green light on a on a single push into mainline version control.
0: So That's such a distillation of an awful lot of stuff. How do you drill? When you get the red light, then what?
2: <laughs> yeah, when you get the red light, you've got to find out where it came from. Mm-hmm. And so... Sure. So uh, one of the limitations in, in many of the current continuous integration tools is the visualization, the ability to drill down and get to root cause. And, and so we chose Jenkins, which is open source. It's a great you know build server tool uh, because of its extensibility. And then our DevOps team set to work building plugins and creating visualizations that allowed us to get the pieces of data that we need in our organization mm-hmm. to determine root cause and and keep the cycle as short as possible.
0: So do you really talk about this in terms of DevOps or just continuous integration, that in continuous integration includes the whole operation side of it?
2: I think it includes the whole operation side. The, the original definition of continuous integration really revolved around just not breaking code when you pushed into version right. control, Right. And that that allows teams to build with better quality, and that's terrific. But if you you take the concept of continuous integration and then you extend it into infrastructure and operations, Mm -hmm. you start talking about configuration management tools like Chef or Puppet that can automate the deployment of of machines, and you you kind of connect the dots, eventually the end game of that is that line of code can go all the way out to your customers. Mm. And you you don't need a human making any decisions except, you know, in the case of, a business decision. So, for example, in our organization, we we still have a go-no-go, no go kind of a, a gut check.
0: Right, right. The,
2: the, the light goes green, and we know we could roll, and then we just decide if we and should
0: roll. And now everybody looks at each other.
1: Right. You ready? Well, you really have to trust your tools and trust those lights. Right. Yeah. 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 Ever been bitten by that?
2: Uh, we've been bitten by misreading the tool. I'll, right. I'll put it that way. The, okay. the tool doesn't tend to lie to us, but sometimes when we read it, we don't quite draw the right conclusion. You got got to
0: ask it the right question too. Absolutely. So,
2: you know, we, one of the changes that we did make when, when we went to this kind of a model is we recognized that we weren't going to be able to part-time this thing. We couldn't have, you know, the, the regular engineers or the regular operations guys do their normal job plus babysit the continuous delivery system. Right. Right. So we invested, you know, full-time engineering budget actually put two two people on the team and we're about to add a third person to that team. Mm-hmm. And they are a cross-functional group. They, they're pulled from ops and from dev, but mm-hmm. their their primary responsibility is to maintain, update, and enhance that tool. And we're doing some really neat things in that team mm-hmm. now, uh, You know, even taking it beyond what we've been doing.
0: Now, we talked about the scenario of the two hours. Mm-hmm. That was a traditional bug report. Somebody found the page didn't work right. So right. what about instrumentation in production, like knowing how the load on your servers is working. Like you, you, that, that fast test you did, is there really room for a load test? Do you do, you do any of that? How do you prove that this app is going to be able to deal with how, how much you're going to deploy it?
2: That's a great question. We have a, a couple of different mechanisms that we're that we're working with. One is the quick and dirty that mm-hmm. sits inside of the continuous de- deployment tool chain, and then we also have another system that's monitoring all the time, and it gives us real-time feedback out of production. So uh, I'll speak to, to each one briefly. The quick and dirty is that we, we log, we're able to log request by request as the tests execute the integration tests. Mm-hmm. You know, they're executing against a live instance of our product. And so we log the end to end time on every single request there. Mm-hmm. And then that data is scraped and plotted inside of the continuous integration system. Wow. So you can see build by build the chart and see all of the, all of the endpoints in the API and how they performed build by build. So So you can
0: really project that degradation, right?
2: Right. If somebody blows up an API, you see it in the chart uh, just a few minutes after they've checked in as the tests have executed against that API and the end-to-end time has gone up. Wow. So that's one mechanism. And then the other is when you have a a deployment uh, system that's as fast as ours, Mm -hmm. the, the risk of pushing something into production that's slow goes way down, we usually see it. Immediately. Right. And then we have an ability to do something about it just a few minutes after that. So, you know, we're not talking about going uh, on you know, a six-week or a six-month release, and then mm. it's slow, and oh, now, what do we do? Do we roll back? This right. is a big problem. Right. right We can roll forward in a matter of a few more minutes and correct mm. the issue if it does slip through.
0: So you're not, I was going to ask you that question, yes. do you roll back? Very rarely. Um, we tend to roll forward almost always. It's, because old, mm-hmm. it's not bad enough that you have to fix it instantly, but we better fix it quickly, right. because we know we can get there in a couple more hours, it's mm. worth fixing it and going forward again. Yeah, yep,
2: almost always.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, it's interesting how the cadence fixes certain That's right. problems. Yeah, you wouldn't be right? able to do that if you weren't going so fast.
1: Exactly. This portion of.NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik JustCode. Code. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files? The new kit on the block, Just Code, does just that for all supported .net languages as well as javascript it's like having a compiler running all the time only that just code is faster and requires less cpu time one area where just code is definitely better is performance the tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down visual studio another reason to try it is javascript support it'll help you read navigate and refactor your javascript code better than you've ever imagined Learn more about the features Just Code offers and download a trial at Telerik.com JustCode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Getting back to, you know, test, green light, trusting the green light. you ever written a, the wrong test? Like In other, in other words, uh, you can test code that's wrong and it'll come out green. But if it does what it's supposed to do, you know, like I guess tests can't fix badly designed code. Well, right? the,
2: the robot can never tell you if, if your code matches the spec, right? Right, <laughs> right <laughs> if, exactly. If the, if the test doesn't match the spec, then you're toast.
1: So, just that it won't crash.
2: Yeah, yeah, just that it won't crash. And that's a big deal mm-hmm. we find. So mm-hmm. our customers tend to prefer, you know, it might not match the spec, but a lot of times they don't know what the spec is either. So yeah. <laughs> that's not as bad of a problem as that right. the code crashes. That most customers notice that. They notice that. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Uh, but but that's that's a great point. And so with a system like this with a high degree of test automation, that doesn't forgive forgive you or, or give you an excuse not to have rigor and traceability around yeah. your test suite and, right. and your specifications. So we you know, we continue to to, you know, follow a process that allows us to write out in manual steps what a test case should do yeah. mm-hmm. link it back into the automation and then link that, that manual set of steps to the original design Okay. so when we have an error come through in production from a customer for example they say this doesn't work as designed and we confirm that it doesn't we're able to trace back into the automation and and you know, normally that's exactly what you see is the test isn't asserting on the, right. the conditions that the customer is expecting, so right, right. we just make the change.
0: You're going to get found out that that you didn't
1: actually capture that correctly. Right. But and it sounds like it's an easy-to-find and easy-to-fix change.
2: Well, when you run the tests every single build, yeah. yep. it it you find it pretty fast. When, when you're doing testing manually, you only have an opportunity to run your tests however often you're executing your manual suite. Mm-hmm. So that could be weeks between runs, and we run our test suite about 150 times a day.
0: How do you get the test suite that fast? Mm-hmm.
2: The advent of virtualization mm-hmm. of hardware and infrastructure as a service is really what has allowed us to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. if you look back at, the, at what Martin Fowler was writing about you know, 10 or 12 years ago, um, and, and some of the guys that are at ThoughtWorks right now mm-hmm. really championing continuous delivery, mm-hmm. they were talking about these concepts way back then but the the infrastructure, the tooling, the speed of of hardware, and the cheap the you know the commoditization of the hardware is, yeah. is really what's allowed this to work. And so what we do is is you know we use we use Amazon EC yep. two. You can use a lot of other vendors for this, um, or you can use your own virtual private cloud if you have something right. like that.
0: But you're using EC two. But we
2: use EC two. So you just
0: light up a whole bunch of instances,
2: and it's and it's all elastic. So we use that same Jenkins build server, right? And the plugins that are that both that are in the community and that we've developed and have contributed to the community, mm-hmm. uh, and and Jenkins can see the incoming rate, the push rate into our version control, right? To get and spin up instances in the cloud in, in response to that. We we need twenty or thirty. Uh, instances on a, of Amazon all running concurrently to get our test suite executed in under an hour. Wow, okay. So every single So you're build, talking 20 or 30 VMs? 20 30 VMs per build and then we're running between 10 and 15 builds all the time. Right. Like con- that's the the flow rate for the number of engineers we have. We have you know about 70 engineers.
0: Wow.
2: So we're yeah, we're running hundreds of machines um, 24 hours a day mm. uh, in EC2. So
0: the what what I would love about that is you know how much every test suite costs.
2: That's yeah, fifteen dollars.
0: Fifteen bucks to run a test set. <laughs>
2: fifteen dollars per hour. run. That's right.
0: That's funny. That's so powerful. Yeah. You just know that's what it costs. Yep. Right? That's and crazy. and now you start looking at your labor costs. Mm-hmm. It's like why aren't you running spending thirty dollars and getting it under half an hour.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And some of the things that we're looking at right now as we we look at that number, we wanna we wanna manage to that number is you know, virtual private cloud, yep. you know, mm-hmm. we're, we've, we can say, well, it's $15 a run. We run a hundred runs a day. It, you know, comes out to a certain amount of money and and how much how many servers can we buy and build our own cloud sure and then just use amazon as failover right so you yeah, still yeah. want that elastic capacity we're always going to need it yep. right. but we're we're zeroing in on the ideal amount for our throughput and our test suite and and, mm-hmm. and that's what's great about this is that it's it's not a one size fits all thing every engineering shop has to kind of do the math and figure out what's the best bang for the buck for them
0: and it does feel like you've assembled this like this mm-hmm. this is not um, is there a certain amount of software off the shelf that you're using here? Or, I mean, you talk about no. Jenkins and so forth, and the EC2 pieces, but
2: we decided right up front that we were going to leverage the open source community wherever we could, mm-hmm. yeah. and then we were going to give back anything that we had to build right. to make ours work. So, yeah, yeah we use Jenkins off the shelf, but open source, great community with hundreds of plugins in it. And we used Amazon EC2 uh, primarily because we the APIs are becoming an industry standard. Yeah,
0: mm. they really lead the world. in They this do. Space, they
2: do, mm-hmm. and they've been very aggressive with their pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, they they continue to drop the price uh, a couple of times a year. Yeah. So so we're we feel pretty comfortable with those guys. But but uh, you know most of what this comes down to is being good with bash and good with shell and knowing a little pearl and just being able to, you know, get the machines talking to each other Mm. and, and, and forgiving each other their mistakes. You know, for example, with Amazon, when you spin up an instance uh, the, it comes with SSH out of the box, right. Right? but the SSH doesn't usually come online until up to thirty seconds after the machine sends its "I'm all I'm all done" event. Right. So you have to re- you know recognize that in your own scripting and and you got to wait. You you might get the "I'm I'm ready" event and then they're not actually ready for thirty more seconds. Yeah. So you learn you learn those little things right as you build out a system like this, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it, it's unique for the topology of whatever your application stack looks like.
0: Yeah. Do the apps you're working on actually have service level agreements attached to them that you you need to instrument or understand the numbers on?
2: Yeah, Amazon service level agreement is uh, uh, the last I remember was was a little lower than what we were comfortable with. Right. It's I think it's a single nine. I hope it's better well, than that now. Yeah. But
0: the internet's only so reliable too, right? Sure. And and, that's and why. you know what
2: that has bit us. It's it's amazing how fast this kind of technology has become mission critical to our business. No kidding. Recently, Amazon had an outage. It was a publicized outage a few weeks ago. Right. EC2. And yeah, we were down for about five hours. We had 30 or 40 pushes into mainline happen by engineers. Right. And I tell you, we went from, you know, a green build to 50 or 60 failing tests in five or six
0: hours. Because you couldn't, the integration has stopped. Like what yep. p- What better proof of your whole scenario there that exactly. when we can do this continuously. And is it, is it really that the, the developer gets that feedback right away while well, the stuff's still in their head?
2: Visibility is everything. You know, yeah. the, the research was done years and years ago that said that, you know, the earlier you see the defect, the cheaper it is to fix. Sure. If you if you catch it before you even commit into master, that's your best bet or sure. into your branch.
1: So it would have been actually better for everybody if you guys had just taken those 5 hours off. Yeah,
2: we really probably should have because yeah. we ended that's up with a bunch thought. of failing tests. Yeah. yeah. And that's everybody why we just go home for a while. Why now, you know, at the time in the spring I wouldn't have known to say this, but to today we know the best solution is a hybrid approach where mm-hmm. you have a, a private cloud with redundancy into the public cloud. Right.
0: And you, and you can, and you maybe decelerate a bit when the public cloud takes a yeah. header, but at right. least you are still getting those hit, those yeah. hits. Right now it takes us
2: offline. It yeah. takes us offline. And That's then we have to pick up the pieces when the lights come back on. So it's the not just a five
0: hour outage. It's, 20 hours afterwards, getting yep. all the fixes yeah. done and cleaning mm-hmm. up the mess.
2: Yep, reverting sometimes, reverting check-ins out of the code base. Right,
0: we're back to, I mean, Carl's point of maybe we should have just gone for dinner. Yep. And <laughs> waited it out. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: The problem is you don't know how long it's going to be down. and uh, well, Right. Um, but I, I imagine the probably only, problem only gets worse the more you start keep coding without it, right? It yeah, just we, we call those
2: blackouts. You know and, and they don't always happen because of Amazon sometimes right. they happen because of us uh, someone will check in a, a database upgrade that doesn't quite work Uh-oh. and uh, you know it takes five or six revisions for them to realize what happened and, and pull it out of this out of the system and mm-hmm. because we're continuously integrated all of those developers are pushing into mainline and the system is running all of their code together right so they are blacked out as well on what their runs are what what the results of their runs were. Mm-hmm. So this is another area where you can you know get a little more mature with your model and and what we what we've done now is create a system where it, it we use gated development so mm-hmm. so that the the diff the file that's going to you know that says what has been changed and what's going into version control is run on a separate branch and it's all automated mm-hmm. so Jenkins picks that up builds a separate branch with just that piece of code mm-hmm. then auto-merges it into mainline if it's green and that what that little end around does is give the developer visibility into their change in isolation without whatever other gunk might be going on in yeah. mainline
0: you get a lot of people working at once here
2: yeah we do we have quite a you know multiple teams ru- we're running all in, on one branch so mm-hmm. Uh, it eventually all gets commingled on master, you know, later in the day, and sometimes you see things happen, but you yeah. don't lose the visibility. The blackouts are what we really, you know, try to
1: avoid. Jesse, I want to get back to this hybrid idea that you that you uh, the architecture that you have now. Does the cloud just become your sort of big backup place, mm-hmm. or so?
2: Yeah, it's it's elastic capacity is what it is, right? Yeah. And it's. Uh, The great thing about what Amazon's done is in creating those industry standard APIs is that all the other vendors and even the open source group, the the OpenStack community, Mm -hmm. uh, they've coalesced around those APIs. So a lot of the plugins are becoming cloud agnostic. And you can you can tool out something like Jenkins and point it to you know Plan A, Plan B, Plan C. You can have multiple cloud providers, uh, you know, publicly, public other vendors, and you can have your own private one and set an order of precedence. So and the
0: code should execute and the code identically.
2: just executes identically so, because right. the API contracts. Take stay.
1: me take me through that a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in a little bit more detail in terms of uh, so you're running against a, a local Jenkins server, right? And then because we don't want to have to rely on the internet here. And then when it's up, when we do have cloud, what, what are we using? I mean, we're not just backing up files here. We're, we're pointing it to those servers in the cloud, right?
2: So, so essentially what we do is, is when a, when a commit comes into mainline, right? It it pushes into, into master. Jenkins knows that it needs to do two things. One is compile and, and spin up a copy of the at task product itself. Okay. So we use elastic capacity in the cloud for that. Mm -hmm. We spin up an at task. Instance an Oracle Express database and, you know, the rest of the stuff that the mm-hmm. app needs to run. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it compiles all of the test artifacts. You know, it's like a 150 meg uh, zip file. Okay. And sends that up to a file server in the cloud. Okay. And so the, the test runners then, which are also dynamic, mm-hmm. also spun up by Jenkins. These are slaves, right? They, they're just drones. They execute tests. Mm-hmm. They spin up, grab the zip file and they they point to the ip of that cloud instance of at task and mm-hmm. they execute all of the integration ui upload test the whole the whole nine yards in multiple browsers different operating systems right again yeah. we have infinite capacity so we can just spin up as many different permutations as we need to cover all and of how our do you bases. fracture
0: out the workload across all those Cink. instances uh,
2: so Jenkins has a lot of that out of the box, okay. which is really, really terrific. And then from there, we've we've added some plugins ourselves that, that are even more rich than what Jenkins provides mm-hmm. and, and have contributed those to their community.
0: And are you really just sending the whole app to every test machine, but breaking up the tests that they do?
2: Yeah, it, we'll, we actually don't have to send the app to every test machine, it's the best part. Right. You know, the most realistic uh, user interface test, for example, is from a remote machine. Of
0: course, right. right? So you're, you're just standing up and inside of the app and then having all these remote instances hit it. Yep. It's almost a kind of a load test too, isn't it?
2: It yeah. is, and that's why yeah. we, you know, talk I was talking earlier about capturing end-to-end time on those sure. API right. endpoints. That's that's a robot hitting from another machine on another network, mm. that at task instance, right. capturing the end-to-end time and then reporting that up as instance. Are you actually
0: using separate EC2 locations for that or is it could it all be in the same data center? It could all be in the same data center, but
2: we've, we, uh, partition out across the different availability zones. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it's fast. It's probably faster than what most users are going to see. Yes. Yeah. But but it provides the same kind of a trend. Which and there's is at least
0: some sense of latency Absolutely. and some sense of you are going across some network boundaries here and so forth. You can't lie to yourself with a bunch of that stuff.
2: Exactly, and so which is actually so, hard
0: to do internally.
2: It, it really is. And executing tests on your local machine uh, is just no substitute, right? It's the famous saying: "It works on my box." Yep. Right. Right. And we we see that all the time where, where developers write tests uh, on the team. Yeah. They work on their box mm-hmm. and then they push it into our continuous delivery system and it fails out there and nine times out of ten there's something that's got to be tweaked because in a real world environment with a real application stack across a network there's something we missed and so we, we capture that
0: I kind of think also you still have with so many developers working so quickly on so many different pieces and able to see their pieces. There's got to be some integration challenges sometimes. Like mm-hmm. you, I think these guys have got to run into each other once in a while.
2: Yeah, they absolutely do, and and that's where uh, the high visibility and the and the short cycle time really really matters. Mm-hmm. The the shorter your cycle time, the less likely you are to have those collisions. Right. And it's the same reason we don't feature branch. You know, we could put each development team on their own branch, and they would be happy and feel like everything was going great until they tried to reintegrate with the rest right. of the teams sure. days
0: or even weeks or later weeks and later, that's the scary part you
2: lose all the visibility and you you get clobbered right. when that happens yeah. it also eliminates your ability to do any kind of cross-cutting refactor mm-hmm. you know if you, if you need to make a fundamental change to your architecture mm-hmm. and you have six or seven different teams out on branches oh, yeah it's impossible It, impossible. it, it really on the other hand
0: the, the need for that architecture change shows up when they collide if right. you can get them to collide early and often then it's like we maybe we should talk to each other and yeah. Maybe we're working On the same thing actually Right Yeah But it's all we trying to get it Inside of those few hours Hey Richard You know what time it is Oh it must be That happy time again Yeah that's
1: right It's time in the show That we give away A Telerik Devcraft Complete collection To a lucky member Of the .NET Rocks fan club And today's winner Is Alana Bird From Missouri City, Texas well, Congratulations Alana Let's give Alana A little round of applause Go ahead <laughs> She uh, she wins, and just for being a member, we have thousands of members of mm-hmm. the fan club. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to dot .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and uh, you could win on any show. And every December, we're going to give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member.
0: And let's blindside Jesse completely right now. Yeah, have you so just I'll met wait. us? Jesse,
1: okay. I'm going to give you a check for five grand. What would you buy, geek toy wise?
2: Oh, man. Yeah, so I would I'd get the new 13-inch MacBook Air for uh, sure with okay. the Retina yeah. display. With the Retina display.
0: That's about 3, isn't it? That's a yeah, good if you, chunk if of you it. You option
2: it all the way up. Well, that's you'd load about 3 it, right there and then I use the rest on a 27-inch iMac. <laughs> the one that you get that slices and dices. It's the that's so thin, right? It makes you can oh, right. Fries. you can cut fries with it. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So oh,
2: I'm an Apple guy. I'll take I'll take both. More please. Apple
0: hardware, and you can burn five grand quickly with Apple hardware. Yes, you can. No Mac Mini in there, or, or uh, uh, iPad Mini in there.
2: You know, I, I've got a couple iPads and four iPhones, and, and I, that's know, enough. I've got enough screen sizes already.
1: <laughs> you know that MacBook is the perfect machine for running Windows 8. You know that, right?
2: <laughs> is it? I hadn't heard that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what about your own service level agreements I mean, do you have commitments to your customers for how fast certain things go and how do you instrument that
2: you know it, it's been great to uh, to be able to put something in place that's allowed us to do that mm-hmm. in the past we haven't really been able to to have a service level agreement because it's been too unpredictable yeah. you know we'd be we, we we just couldn't have delivered on the promise sure so today you know we do have service level agreements from for the time from the time that they hit the development department until we get them out the door. If it's a critical or a high defect, it's 24 hours and it's out oh, okay. the door. Um, if it's a lower priority defect, then we tend to roll those in based on the other things that are in the backlog. Right. But the teams the teams have an SLA on those on the lower the lower stuff. Right. And they they get them done, you know, as they have a case. So you're
0: actually I mean that's an interesting level of monitoring. It's like here's our response time to a problem, mm-hmm. but you still expect the customer to find the bug
2: well we do our best mm-hmm. right we try our best to find find problems and then we you know we invest in technology that allows us to reduce the risk or uh, if there is a problem you know i talked already about being able to deploy frequently and roll forward to solve a problem Another thing that we do, uh, because we're all on mainline, is we use configuration management, feature toggling. Mm-hmm. We build everything behind configuration, yeah. and we dark launch everything that is in mainline.
1: Right. So, so In uh, other words, if the feature goes out, it's just not turned on.
2: Yeah, the next several months of features are often sitting in one form or another in production yep. at at task. So if uh, we do have a defect... Um, the, the configuration management is so fine-grained that we can literally slice any persona and and disable a feature. So I could pick a specific customer, a specific user, anybody that's been with the you know, been a customer longer than six months, mm-hmm, or right. anybody whose last name is Jones can have a feature turned off for them specifically. Right. Or so, conversely on. Or on specifically. Yeah. So a, an example of this, we have a new optimization that's going in. We're we've done a lot of testing on it. Mm-hmm. We're not a hundred percent sure that it's great, but it makes performance in IE8 forty percent faster in some cases. Right. We have a customer that really needs it because they're on IE8. Right. So we've turned that feature on in production for them. They understand, you know, that we're not done testing yeah. it, and they've they've agreed to it, mm-hmm. and we're able to do that in isolation and get the feedback from them without affecting any of our. Before other you clients. roll it to everybody else. That's right.
0: Well, you get back to this idea of testing and production, essentially. Right? right. There's no substitute for real people hitting your site. Yep, which
2: is actually, I believe, the way that Bing has been doing it all along. Mm-hmm. So,
0: How much instrumentation are you running in production to be able to have visibility into all those things that are going on, and how do you do it?
2: Yeah, we have a few different systems that we use. Uh, TrueSight is one that we use. It, it just port proxies at the load balancer level, so as things come in, it doesn't add any additional latency to the system, but it just basically replicates... All the requests as they come in, mm-hmm. and we are able to track, you know, server time, client side, end to end, the whole deal through TrueSight and slice it any way we want. Mm. We also have service level thresholds across our entire app, every single page, and we, we chart those in real time. Mm-hmm. So we will usually see in about five minutes if something has changed from a performance perspective that we should be concerned about. Right. Um, and and then we're usually able to get to the root of it pretty fast, looking so you at your site.
0: You then have a, a bunch of choices there. Do I just turn this feature off with configuration and make it go away, or do I slug out the two hours to get the fixes in and push it back out again?
2: Right. So it's <clears> great. It's great to have a choice between 30 seconds and an hour or right, something yeah. instead of between six hours or a week.
0: Right. In, or sure. Or a month.
2: Or a month or whatever it might be. Yeah. And and uh, as we continue to improve, you know, I think that we'll we'll get to a point where. Uh, you know, we've seen in the last couple of releases, the defect counts have dropped dramatically. The defects reported after mm-hmm. releases have dropped dramatically. Um, so all of the things that we're doing to manage risk and to, you know, create a more responsive customer service kind of experience. I mean, software as a service, there's, I think that the S in services is, is for service, right? Right. Not just for software. <laughs> Not just so for software. Yeah, yeah. we're, you know, always working to improve the service side of our business.
0: It does sound like you've changed. The way your developers develop now, or the, rather, they've changed in response to this behavior. Can you talk to that? Like, what's different?
2: Yeah, it's been amazing to observe the difference. The, there are things that developers chafe against. I think when you mm-hmm. do this the first time, sure, getting everybody on mainline and having them all commingling their code with each other during development uh, can be—is a cause for concern.
0: Sure, it's a struggle.
2: You—you um, you don't like it when you get derailed by somebody else's, you know, bad code. And right. so and, and the other piece is, you know, going with something like this continuous integration system is it's complicated, right? It doesn't at least at the beginning it didn't work all the time. Right. Yeah. Right? And, but I also
0: it, think that you start building smaller pieces and sending them out dark early so oh, you yeah. get confidence with your code being in the oh, line.
2: I, I see what you're getting at. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I mean yeah. That, that's the that's the trade off. They accept that they're going to be working on master with everybody else. Sure. They accept that the continuous integration system is sometimes going to cause them trouble. Yep, right. And the trade-off is they get to put their stuff in front of customers earlier, faster, more often, ship more cool ideas that can be tested in production. When you
1: turn a feature on, do you just turn it on for one instance and just to watch and see what happens before it goes across all of the other instances?
2: Yeah, we do. We, we the automated script I was talking about human pause points, sure, right? Yeah. The automated script rolls the first node of a cluster and then it pauses. Yeah. So there's an opportunity to go in and we just, you know, sanity check, make sure everything looks right.
0: Is that machine currently out of the cluster at that particular point? That machine's point?
2: pulled out of the load balancer. Right.
0: Yeah. Right? So you, you're the only ones who can touch We're it. We're
2: the only ones on it. We can see it. And then if we like what we see, then we just hit the, you know, hit the continue button and right. it rolls its way out to the rest of the network. I love it.
0: Pauses. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, just to sort of pause to like reflect. Like a media player. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. Or roll back.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I also think Rewind. you're talking about the, the change in development behavior piece here is It's this write a little bit of code early and push it out often so that you could hit those touch points as repeatedly early on before you finally get the whole feature built. Yeah. I, I think it really sort of discourages building a lot of code and then pushing it.
2: It really does. And yeah. uh, the number of, we see that in the number of pushes per day it goes up it's gone up quite a bit mm-hmm. since we did this because they they crave the feedback right right it's a great way to just gut it's a sanity check for what you're doing and because we build everything behind configuration the test suite is tooled for that as well so the whatever the test suite was before that new feature went into play is mm-hmm. going to continue to execute yeah right and then they build behind configuration and add new tests for the for the other version so the configuration test is is already there they'll know if they're leaking functionality right. out from behind configuration because the test suite for all the old stuff is still there, still running every single build, Sure, and it provides that that backstop. Uh,
0: well, i got to think you keep expanding your pool because your test suite just keeps getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And who's building the tests? Is it the same guys?
2: Talking about specialization, right? Mm-hmm, we have mm-hmm. ops guys in dev, we have engineers in test, mm-hmm. and the engineers in tests are embedded with the Agile teams just like front-end or back-end engineers are. But so you the, do want
0: a different pair of eyes building the test for a given chunk of code.
2: You know, my, my personal feeling about it is mm-hmm. that the specialization is important, having mm-hmm. the, the discipline, but the team is accountable for the complete product, yeah. and that includes the code that drives the feature and the code that tests the feature. Sure. So the, the folks that determine what should be tested are a different set of eyeballs. That We have manual QA experts, guys with many years of industry experience that determine what should be tested but then who automates it i you know you let the engineers automate whoever's got the technology. But I, and
0: i also got to think that you know you're at a relatively mature state in this now where mm-hmm. everybody has a high level of confidence in integration so you don't have to be quite so strict about those rules but in the early days you know mm-hmm. to to keep quality up i think it's really Got to be you got to be a little firmer so people get more confidence with it
2: yeah i think that's absolutely true and as as they see the evidence mm-hmm. that that the quality is right. going up that things yeah. are getting better then you make believers out of the team you get the buy in and and i
1: imagine that forward. there's a sense of real liberation there from you know in, 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 on the part of the team once they realize how much power they have right you know
2: it's it's a, there's a lot of empowerment ultimately you know they they ought to own that thing mm-hmm. from, right. the, from cradle to grave and, and for maintenance and forevermore. So when they, it's like having a puppy. Right? You, <laughs> you, they've got that guy for years now. As long as it's in production, it belongs to them and yep. all the bugs belong to them and the tests belong to them. And yeah. They, yeah. they take that ownership and take pride in, in building yeah. great software because of it.
1: And mock each other mercilessly when
0: the light goes red.
2: There's a lot of that, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, a bunch of critical eyes, but with some warmth to them, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you have wedgie day?
2: <laughs> that sounds very unpleasant. Yeah, no. That's I pretty, don't know who'd be administering that those. T-
1: that's extreme programming right there. <laughs> I guess so. Well, Jesse Dowdle, thank you very much for joining
0: us. My pleasure. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh.
1: You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET
0: application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days.
1: Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's component one .NET. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component One. Smarter
0: components for smarter developers.
1: And for the second half of our show, we're going to be talking to Matthew Bissett. Matthew has been working for Her Majesty's government for more than six years, having been recruited straight from university. Deployed into the integration and test team of his department's main engineering group, Matthew demonstrated strong leadership qualities to quickly progress from test analyst through test team lead to test management. Currently the test manager responsible for the integration and testing of his area's flagship system he has driven through delivery process improvements to enable weekly deliveries. Matthew has delivered many talks with his government department and has presented at a British Computer Society Special Interest Group in Software Testing conference. Welcome Matthew. Thank you. Quite a responsibility and I'm sure you have a, a lot of experience where, uh, where where there's a lot of scrutiny. Um.
3: Yeah. I mean, we're we're in a fortunate place where we've um, earned the trust of our our customers and our area to
0: decide our own destinies. Really, and this is all um, government internal stuff. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, you, so you, I mean your customers
0: are not public.
3: No. No. We're not. We're not selling anything outside of the outside of the uh, government or, organization. Sure. It's right. All internal drivers in internal marketplace.
0: Really. Yeah. Now, the, the big story that. As I understand it, is you were working on a product that had a nine-month delivery cycle? It, it didn't necessarily have a nine-month
3: delivery cycle, but it was taking you nine know months. like nine months, nine months to,
0: to get there. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um,
3: we mm. were using um, sort of the rational not rational unified process sure.
0: uh, badly. Because <laughs> you know, um, there's nothing uh, bad to say about RUP. It is a good technology, but it has to be done right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And 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 we did the
3: the age-old mistake of um, you know taking the whole of RUP and doing all of it, mm-hmm. and uh, then using CMMI to make sure that we did oh, all of it um, okay. yeah. without really doing the whole kind of you know the tailoring and getting the useful bits out of it. And sure, and it, and it took us. It it took us a while to, to realise that we needed to do that and and for us to get the leeway to do that mm-hmm. as well. Um, it, it was corporately mandated to use RUP for a long time, and
0: um, and somebody basically arbitrarily said, "And you'll use it all."
3: Um. Yeah, probably it, it would have been before my time. Right. You know, I, I, I turned up and um, the, I worked on the project for. We did at least two sort of like nine to twelve month deliveries mm-hmm. and, uh, while I was there, um, and and then then we then we went all change really.
1: Yeah. So what were you the primary impetus for that change, or was it agreed um, upon? We had to do something different. How did it come about? It, it was very
3: much a customer driven thing. Yeah. You know the customer. Uh, one of our main sort of senior users was was fed up awaiting nine mm-hmm. months for for right. change. Um, so he set out. He set out a challenge. He, he gave us a, a requirement and said, "Right, you got twenty-two
0: weeks to meet that." So five and a half months.
3: Yeah, yeah, You know, sort of like you know, half mm-hmm. a year roughly, isn't right. it? Great. So right. uh, all in all, um, and we we then sort of like set about figuring out how we how we do that. Um, and you know, we, we didn't get it right first time. Um, I think there was a bit, quite a lot of inefficiencies in there. We 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 actually completed the task within 20 weeks but we spent another two weeks just uh you know doing extra bells and whistles and we didn't deploy them in the end um Mm. at that stage we weren't we weren't that mature really but we had to go through that process and and learn from that to then figure out where we needed to go and what we need to do next so you more
0: or less cut the dev cycle in half which is in, in terms of getting that thing shipped, was that a decrease in features, or you know, um,
3: where would it go? I mean, yeah, the the, the features. I'm trying, I'm trying to think back what it what the challenge actually was. I mean, I imagine the, the feature was probably um, a, a small on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um, But, but the main things were we, we sort of like increased, increased collaboration, um, increased work between sort of dev and tests so that it wasn't, you know, trying to break down those kind of throw it over the wall kind of mentality. Right. And in
1: that first run, were you still using RUP or were you introducing agile things or?
3: Well, I mean, I mean, RUP was all we knew, if you know what I mean. So it's hard. It was hard not to use it, but, um, though those were the, I wouldn't say we were used, we use really knew much about Agile at that point. Okay. Um, but we were we were certainly becoming conscious about what we were doing and, and what was working and what right. wasn't working. Right, right. Um, so I think learning about Agile probably came a little later on mm-hmm. after that.
0: And you're coming from this from the testing side. Yes. So you are a software developer as well, but you're in a testing role? Or? No. Not a developer no, no. at all. The, the true... I I, I
3: haven't really, I wouldn't say I've written any worthwhile code in my life, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, I sort of studied it at university, of course, Mm -hmm. and and then I recruited straight into test. Um, I've done done bits and pieces of scripting, but nothing. Nothing Nothing
0: huge. So what's your style of testing when you're leading a test team?
3: So... um, I think I'm very. I, I, I really resonated with a lot of themes that uh, Dan was talking about in the keynote. This oh morning. yeah, right. Um, bringing forward your risks, um, finding out as much you can about your risks as early as possible. Um, you know, at least at least figuring out what they are to be. You know, to know about them, to then you know start testing them as soon as possible, or as soon seems as practical. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, that's that's very much my the way that I do things, and um, the the way that our processes are now designed to work uh, to enable that the the communication to happen up front to try and uh, you know tease out what the risks are, um, and then create your acceptance criteria for those risks risks progressing through the process, and um, and then hopefully at the end of the day, you know and giving the customer as much information they need to say whether whether it ships or not.
1: So tell me about the transition from that, you know, first uh, shorter rep to today. How so, did that all come about?
3: Yeah, so we we, we started, um, the, the, the main kind of process we came up with in the middle was um, a six-week delivery cycle. Okay, yeah. um,
0: we, so that's sort of a traditional well, agile cycle, right?
3: Yeah, so we we probably, I imagine we picked six weeks because that was the iteration length we were using in It mm, Okay. It felt, it felt right. Um, but we were trying to do far too much in those six weeks. We mm. were trying to do almost like those mini waterfalls, you know. Wow. Um, um, and we were certainly, from a test point of view, we were trying to cram in all of the testing into that. Got it. All of that, that, that period. Mm-hmm. Um, and our biggest risk is and always will be integration um we the, the 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 system i'm working on has you know one one of the subsystems has like hundreds of components mm-hmm. um one of the other the the other systems has like i think last count from a few years ago was like 12 million lines of code so wow. they're they're, they're sizable beasts um and to have uh, development happening across all of the subsystems and then integrate together at the right point of time. When we were trying to do it every 6 weeks we weren't integrating mm. soon enough.
0: Um, really? Yeah, cuz here you are going faster so you think you'd integrate more often but yeah. you still weren't integrating often enough. We
3: we we had like long lead times on dev and you know mm-hmm. you always end up squeezing your test at the end and, and and the dev team's very much or the the whole kind of the whole area is of integration being the tester's problem, we mm-hmm. were the integration test team, mm-hmm. therefore we should do the integration. Um, and by leaving that to the very end, you, know, you miss you miss some of your quality gates. You then have to squeeze your testing, yep. your quality then decreases. You then have less information to tell your customer.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost so. seems like uh, might have been better to have an even shorter run so that you'd be less tempted to do more in that sprint so
3: that's kind of where we went in the end um i mean we did the six-week delivery cycles for um well, we must have done about 20 deliveries in in that fashion so 20 times six plus mm-hmm. a, few, a few weeks of holiday you know, yeah a cu- couple of you know, at least a year or year and a half or so um and then we realized that yeah you can't cram everything in you can't cram these big architectural changes that we might have been doing into that six-week period right so by by reducing the the delivery life cycles shorter you can fit less in what we did do is um change it from a a six-week development life cycle Mm -hmm. to a one-week delivery life
0: cycle Interesting. Yeah. So, so what does that mean?
3: So, so the way we look at it is that um, as the the owners of the um, the super system, the thing that we're delivering, Mm -hmm. we don't mandate onto the subsystem teams how they do their work, how they do their development, right? But we do mandate um, our acceptance criteria, and we give them a steer on the priority order for the you know when we want the features, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But we let them. Deliver it in their own way, and then we we and we f- make them do the integration themselves. So they've got to collaborate between between the subsystem teams, and then when they meet our acceptance criteria, then we move them on to the the delivery life cycle. Okay, um, that means um, I mean, it took take, take inspiration from uh, Dean Leffingwell's release train, where you have a constant. Um, a constant opportunity to deliver. You know, you have your, your your cycle of weekly deliveries, and if there's something to deliver, you try and deliver it. Right. Yeah. If there's nothing ready, well, there's nothing ready. You, you we we don't push things through uh, that are of low maturity right, just sure. to deliver something. It's um, we think. But you fun. also don't hold
0: back something that's built just because it hasn't reached that delivery time yet.
3: Yeah, exactly. And if things are ready early, then we'll try and try and fit them in early. Sure. You know, mm. um, as long as it's all about as the meeting the the acceptance criteria, meeting the quality we want and the customers want. Mm-hmm. And if 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 we say to a customer, you know, um, we've got these risks, we haven't been able to do this testing, but your deadline is here. What do you want us to do? Mm. If they still say, "I'll take it at risk," and they they're educated about what those risks are. It's up to them. It's yeah. their call, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. their call, and, sure. and that's very, as a development team, as a test team, that's very liberating because mm-hmm. testers aren't the the, the the holders of the of um, the the keys anymore. We don't say ship it or not ship it. We say this is the information, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's one of the other transformations that's happened over the past few years. That we're just information providers. Um, we we it's the it's the customer's choice to say whether they ship or not.
0: Sure, and you just tell them the reality. of this is where we are, mm. what would you like to do about it now? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't change the reality of the situation.
3: No, no, you can't. You can't lie to yourselves, can you? Right. You know.
0: Yeah. So after uh, so many iterations of the six week cycle, where have you changed it again?
3: So yeah, so that well, that's when we went down to the one week right cycle, um, and we've been doing that uh, since since the new year, mm-hmm. um, and we're we're getting great great successes out of the the, the weekly delivery life cycle um, but where we are now is um, the that we've got a new demand from our customers to deliver even quicker
0: really yeah I mean you've come a long way in just a few years
3: yep yeah we have done but our our you know our marketplace our internal marketplace the the pace of change is is very quick sure um, so we're now looking at the ways we're doing things um, we, we've known for a long time that um, we've got uh, some manual overheads in our in our continuous integration. We've got some uh, manual assessments of automated testing. Mm-hmm. Um, we know we need to automate all of that. And if we do that, we then enable faster delivery. Um,
0: now so would you actually go below a one-week yeah? cycle or would you just do more in the week?
3: We are, I... I think we'll have um, far more um, smaller things we deliver more frequently. Right. Um, We haven't really thought through sort of sizable architectural changes, whether you wouldn't want to deliver that probably more than, you wouldn't want to do more than one of them a week, I'd say. Sure. Um, But to have the flexibility to deliver small bug fixes or small features, you know, Uh, at a daily rate? Daily oh, several rate, times a day right yeah why not mm-hmm. you know if, if, if it meets your your acceptance uh like you know your, your quality gates then why wouldn't you ship what, it yeah, why, ship why? whenever you can ship yeah um, and and we'll also i mean to get down from um six weeks to one week we had to invest in our deployment processes mm-hmm. and, and the, the technologies we were using to deploy um so to get even quicker we'd have to do that again mm-hmm. so it's we're open to change. We're open to improvement. We're we're just figuring these things out, and and we're lucky that our our customers are happy for us to do that, and they trust us. They're willing to take well.
0: some risks to accelerate this process. Yeah,
3: yeah, definitely.
0: And that's that's an interesting dynamic. I mean, just having that conversation that yeah. way—they're not just demanding all things always. I mean, you're still talking about government. They they ought to be pretty arbitrary. It's government.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, we we have you know we have requirements. We have um, uh, sort of legal. Um, requirements that we have to mm-hmm. meet about about the the, the systems we produce, um, but it, it comes down to if you don't elicit that requirement down to its um, you know its component parts, yep. then you can't find new ways to to meet it. Mm-hmm. Um, so. At the moment, we're just trying to throw out some of our old assumptions and, and come up with new ways of meeting this stuff. And we're coming up with some, some relatively interesting ideas, and we'll take them to our customers and, and to the legal people and say, what do you think? And if they give us a green light, we'll go and do it. If they give us a red light, we'll, we'll keep on, on thinking. You know? But
0: I also appreciate that you've had this series of success. Like, you've definitely built trust with those yes. customers that you took right. what was a pretty – Classical, uh, you know, slow process, and have been improving and apparently making better software along the way. Yeah, so you earned your trust.
3: We we have done, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you, you're nothing without your trust between your, your, your development teams and and, and your uh, your customers because mm-hmm. you've got to work together to get the business benefit out there, haven't you? So,
1: so while we've been here at the Better Software Conference and talking to agile people. Um, one theme has sort of come up for me a lot, which is there's just as much of a if not more of a of a challenge in dealing with the people in dealing with the customers and the business people and the stakeholders than there is dealing with the team i mean the the technical methodologies and tools are well known right but yeah. it's the but it's how do you get everybody on board and how do you deal with difficult personalities and uh you know
3: yeah, uh, uh, there's no golden bullet for any of that really. Um a- everyone's context is different. Mm-hmm. It, we're all delivering different software. Uh, we've got, you know, different uh, organizational pressures, different
1: Well, you've obviously ideas. had some success. What what worked in your in your case? It
3: it's it's communication. It's, you know, if you don't if you don't ask the questions, then you won't find out the answers, will mm-hmm. you? So, um I mean, the the first so, so when I first took over the test management of um, the, 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 the super system that I, I've got now, um, I as an outside person, I could see um, that the, the way the customer was advertising, the scope of the deliveries and planning deliveries up front uh, wasn't working. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was pressuring the um, um, the dev teams, the test teams, everyone to, to meet these deliveries. Yeah. Um, so I just sort of said to him, Look, you're killing us! Stop mm. it! Let, let's find a new way of doing this. Mm-hmm. And he just sort of said, "Oh wow, this new this new guys come in with some new ideas. Oh, we'll listen to him." Okay. Mm-hmm. And we we found a new way of prioritizing the work and mm. a new way of advertising the work. Um, and 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 we, in the end, we had uh, a, a much bigger technical steer uh, on the backlog rather than a, a wholly customer steer. Right. And mm-hmm. and we reduced our planning window down um, to. You know rather than having uh, a number of six weeks' deliveries planned up front we've now got no more than well sort of three one week deliveries okay uh, i mean i, I kind of the way I look at it is every Monday we plan for the next the next weekly um cycle mm-hmm. um and you know about next week you know usually about eighty ninety percent you know what's going to happen next week mm-hmm. right. the two weeks after that. <laughs> I'll pay some attention to. We'll we'll have a little bit of an idea, you know, um, um, we'll know what our, the, the, the subsystem teams are working on. We know what kind of state they're in. Anything beyond three weeks, I think is make believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It's just fiction anyway.
3: Exactly. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen next week. You don't know what's going to, going to pop up. You don't know what new requirement the customer is going to come up with. Sure. Um, my PM hates it, but I, I say it is make believe, you know, we'll, we'll worry about that later on. Um, but, You've got to be aware of this stuff because there are some things that have long lead times mm-hmm. and you need, to, you need to be looking at that, looking how you're going to test it, looking how you're going to develop it and, and have these things on, on, on the back of your mind to make sure that everything's in place when they are ready.
0: So has this approach spread across the teams uh, within the organization? I mean, you're, you've got one big, like say, super project, and mm. you know, which your guys are working on, but you still got RAP everywhere, and, uh, you know, CMMI. Like,
3: um, no, not really. Um, I think we, when 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 we got the um, the green light to to stop using RUP and CMMI, I think pretty much everywhere dropped. Everybody it. did. Everyone did
1: because they then, saw the success, right? Sorry, because they saw the success you were having, right? Uh,
3: well, kind of. I mean, um, one of the other uh, engineering domains is very heavily into Scrum, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's kind of what works for them. And, yeah. and we're not forcing our processors on them to say, hey, guys, how about you do this? They're doing something that's working for them. Sure. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Um, what we are saying is, hey, we'd like to deliver you you know, you're our follow-on systems, we'd like to deliver you stuff more frequently. Can you match that? <laughs> right. And it, we're challenging them. Um, yeah. So they either need to um, to keep up with our pace, otherwise we're not giving the end customer business benefit in right. the pace that we want to, or, you know, the the backup is to have decoupled architecture to, to, to you uh, know. So each side can
0: interact independently. Exactly, but
3: then that's not giving your customer the benefits. So, mm. um, the, the, the evolution, the, the revolution that we're going through now to, to get even shorter delivery cycles, there's a big kind of, um, end to end information flow picture about, um, joining up requirements across the whole of engineering. Right. Um, and that's, that's probably one of our next big challenges because, you know, we, we got a lot of, uh, a lot of teams, a lot of history, and uh, you know, organizational challenges, obviously, sure. you know, as, as anywhere does. Well, and
0: I also appreciate that, you know, sort of the beginning of the story is this idea that we were mandated a process that wasn't working for us. Yeah. And the only way we really got better was to, to get rid of that mandate and own it ourselves. Yeah. So you wouldn't go around mandating anybody else with process not, either. Not
3: at all, not at all. Right. right. Um, you know, just... You've got to get to a place where you learn from your mistake. You make Mm -hmm. some mistakes, you learn from them, and you improve. It's continuous improvement, isn't it? Right. So, um, you know, just just taking something, taking any process and thinking, somebody else says that works, so we're going to follow that to the letter. Mm -hmm. That's just not mature in any way. That's that's immature.
1: Another big theme we see is just giving permission to fail Mm because you can learn so much from a mistake. Yeah. As long as it doesn't take too long, fail fast, fail often.
0: And you yeah. can't fail if you can only fail every nine months. Nobody can afford failure. Exactly. If right. you can fail exactly. every week or every day.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so the way I said we with
3: reducing the delivery life cycle um, and 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 having a hierarchical continuous integration. So your dev teams are doing their continuous integration mm-hmm. hourly or changely. Yeah. Uh, the, the system test teams are, are, are doing their continuous integration at the moment daily. Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of like building that up and then you're delivering weekly. You've got far more candidates, far more opportunities to succeed yes. rather than that one big opportunity to fail. Yeah. Um, that's something that we're, we're constantly looking at. Yeah. And, and you can't have that pressure. You can't. You can't, you can't fail in, 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 uh, over a long period of time, and, and, and you won't get anywhere.
1: Matthew Bissett, it's been great talking to you. Yeah, no problems. And thanks. Thanks again. And thanks for listening to .NET Rocks, and we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, PluralSight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. PluralSight.com.